0: Hey yo, Kina, what are we doing here? What?
1: (laughs) What are we doing here?
0: Oh! We're divesting from whiteness. Welcome to episode three, season one of Divesting from Whiteness. It's your host, Kina Reed, and I am thrilled, absolutely thrilled. I mean, y'all are used to me being thrilled about every guest, and that's because everybody I'm having conversations with is just beyond special and beyond powerful. And this is always true and it's definitely true today with my guest, Tony Perry, the ghetto activist. And I'm so excited, y'all. I mean, I knew that when I sat down to talk with Tony, my mind was gonna be like, whoo, expanded. And Tony did not disappoint. Tony and I had such a thoughtful and rich conversation about so much. We start this episode defining white supremacy and what it is and what it isn't. We end this episode talking about the challenges of white saviorism. But before we do that, In between all of that, we really dig deep into things like the difference between race and ethnicity and the power of origin stories. And I got to tell you, for my listeners who identify as Black, this is so important. Tony does such an amazing job reminding us that our history is not limited to the experience of chattel enslavement across the Americas. He reminds us in such a beautiful way of the multifaceted history of our ancestors. And so I just want you all to know that you may be hearing new terms, new concepts, and it may be a little overwhelming, but that's okay because we have learned that we can truly learn from discomfort. So take time, take notes, And make sure to revisit the the notes of the podcast because Tony and I share some really wonderful resources that will help you to continue to learn. I just want to shout out Tony. Their work is across platforms. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Patreon. And they regularly blog at theghettoactivist.com. So please, after listening to this episode, Leave a review, but also follow everything Tony Perry does because he is worth it. See you on the other side of the episode.
1: Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. As long as you got a sit-down philosophy, you'll have a sit-down philosophy. Thought and as long as you think that old sit-down thought, you'll be uh, in some kind of sit-down action. They'll have you sitting in everywhere. Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains, I've been trying to find a way to break the chains. Say it, be strange, it be strange, it be strange, i will be trying to find a way to make the chains.
0: Y'all, divesting from whiteness, listener. Special treat today. I can't. Y'all can't see how I'm excited. I am, but I'm super excited. I feel like I got like giants. And Tony, I just made you an NFL player. I apologize.
1: it's all good
0: thinker in the room tonight with me well virtually we're virtually together right now so i've got none other than the ghetto activists online with me right now okay (laughs) so let me just say this out here in these internet streets if you want to find a platform and a voice that is centering Blackness. It doesn't get stronger than Tony, in my opinion. And so I'm just humbled to have uh, him here. Um, you know, even though this is for the Divesting from Whiteness project, it is important for people to know that I'm a Black woman. I am the curator behind the anti Blackness reader. And so centering Black stories and truth is so important. And so I'm excited to have Tony. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell people who you are. If they don't know who you are, which I don't know how they don't know who you are, brother. Uh, but yes, I would love for you to introduce yourself as well.
1: Yeah, of course. First off, thank you uh, for having me on the platform. I'm definitely honored. I'm always, I always say this. I'm always honored. And I'm always shocked when people have me on because, uh, you know, if you find my content, I'm definitely uh <laughs> unapologetic, to say the least. Um, so, you know, th- for me to know that people want me on their platform lets me know where they stand in-, in their own Blackness. So I definitely appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, my name is uh, Tony Perry. I go by The Ghetto Activist. You can find me on Instagram by just that, The Ghetto Activist. Uh, you can also type it in your little Google and then run it to the blog. Uh, so I'm a writer. I'm a writer at heart. A ghetto historian second. Uh, but of course, I'm, I am a black man. (laughs) And it's important to say that in today's space because uh, apparently a lot of other people are trying to occupy this space and not, you know, admit exactly who they are. But yeah, I am a black man. I'm African-American. I I prefer the term African-American. You know, it's kind of my personal preference, but uh, I'm a writer at heart, historian uh, also at heart, not by the, uh, you know, the Eurocentric, uh, you know, higher education means of being a historian, right? I don't have the PhD. Uh, but I'm a huge believer in self-study, uh, one being that, of course, life is your biggest teacher. So if you can't see yourself as a student of life first, you're going to miss a lot of lessons. Uh, but I also believe in terms of of having a, a total commitment in terms of your own personal growth and that personal growth, I believe, comes through your own education. Right? Uh, Carter G. Wilson told us that there's two educations that we have. There's the one that that's given. And then there's one that we give ourselves. So I'm a huge component in giving yourself the right education to free yourself uh, from the psychological chains that chattel slavery is still left on many of our minds, right? So that's a lot of the content that you'll see on my page is geared kind of towards that whole message. Uh, I I try and do that by introducing people to a history that's been locked away. Um, A lot of us, first off, don't even know what happened to us here uh, in terms of that 400 years of the Maafa and plus. Let alone the years and the centuries before then, you know. Um, like you know, I've had this conversation many a times that um, we 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 are a part of the oldest people on the planet. We have the oldest history of any other group of peoples on the planet, right? And the fact that we can only talk to or speak to about two hundred years of that lets you know how far removed we are, not just from ourselves, but from our ancestors. So. That's a good gist of in terms of what you'll see when you run into my content, why I post the content I post, um, and all that good stuff. So like I said, I'm definitely pleased to be here, and uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
0: I'm so excited. Even in that introduction, you share some things that I want to circle back to later in our conversation. But I want to, first of all, ask you the tracking question, because here at Divesting from Whiteness, we recognize that context shapes everything. So Perfect. I would love to know what is shaping your life today. And it doesn't have to be anything big. It could be the fact that you got a new pony. I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: what is shaping your life today?
1: Uh, to be honest, I have to say it's, it's the people. Um, you know, I kind of started my platform not looking for any type of notoriety or anything like that. It really took me a while to put my face behind it. Um. Uh, But it's really the people uh, and and the feedback that I'm starting to get from some of the things that I post, because when you do this stuff, you know, for a long time, you kind of think that you're just shouting out into empty room. Right. And then, uh, you know, you start seeing, uh, you know, some comments and the comments are good, but it's something different when you start having people sending you DMs talking about how much you've, you know, impacted their own learning journey, uh, because it's a journey for all of us. Right. And for me. Um, like I said, i always view myself as a student of life, uh, but I, I do believe in education. Um, before I switched my major, my, my primary major was history education, so I do see myself as, a, as an educator, and as an educator, I think it's important that I share the information that I pick up along my journey to help other people on their journey, and they can use that information however they like because everybody's journey is different, um, but when I start hearing people talk about how I helped their journey, right, that's really really helped me in ways that I can't even, you know, I really can't even put in words to be honest. So I'd have to say this to people right now.
0: That's awesome. That's so awesome. So I'm gonna take us right into the thick of it.
1: Okay. All <laughs> we- right. We-
0: Straight no chaser. Straight no chaser.
1: <laughs> that's how I like it. that's how I like it
0: Be aware. Okay. So one of the things I want to to start with here is if one I want to ask you if you had to like define white supremacy how would mm. you do that and two I would love to hear your thoughts about like what does white supremacy not only mean for like generally speaking but why do you think it even exists as a concept
1: mm. can you give me that, that first question one more time
0: how would you define white supremacy?
1: Okay, cool. And then, well, the how do theory, I think it came to mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, nobody probably has ever actually defined white supremacy. Please, like, <laughs> like, sir, uh, did you define white supremacy? um But also, like, if you had to like name like the origin story, like why does right. white supremacy exist?
1: Right, so right. Say, uh So, personally speaking,
0: definition though, you know.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, personally speaking, what I what I see white supremacy to be, right, is a is a myth in this in the superiority of the so called white race, right, and that in in that is basically it in its own nutshell, right. And the best way I try to explain it in the sense of how it came to be is that, and like I said in our conversation beforehand, to really understand how it. I got introduced to the world. You have to understand the fall of the Moors, right? You have to understand who the Moors were, what they did, and what they created to jumpstart what we know today as white supremacy. So the Moors were a group of Africans from North Africa, from Morocco. Which there's a lot of uh, misconception going around that Moor means Muslim, right? But it doesn't though. It's, it's actually a term that's that was used to define a complexion, right? A certain ethnic group. Of North, of North Africa, right? Very similar to uh, how the Greeks would call pretty much anybody in Africa, Ethiopians, which Ethiopian is a compound of two Greek words, right? Ethos and opus, ethos being burnt, opus being faces, right? So it was used just like the Greeks would use Ethiopian to describe black people essentially. When you get into England, you have blackamoors right? Which is Europeans way of describing Black people who were in England, right? <laughs> so the Moors were um, these people from North Africa, kind of trace it back to Morocco now. They moved into Spain around 711, And during that process, they ruled Spain for about 800 years. And during this time, we're talking about they came in and they kicked out the, the vandals and the Visigoths, right? These are kind of what we would consider uncivilized people who had a system in place that's very similar to feudalism, right? So if you had a king, who had an army, they can move in, overthrow your king, and then they implement feudalism. So you got your serfs, you had your knights, your lords, things of that nature, right? So they moved in and essentially re-civilized these people because they had, at this point in time, they had stopped taking baths routinely. They had adopted a more uh, Eurocentric version of Christianity to where they had believed that you know bathing was a sin, right? So they introduced things like they reintroduced the bath. They reintroduced like soaps, different spices, uh, different types of clothing, right? We think of Italy, a lot of people think of like Italian gaiters, shoes, right? But alligators aren't indigenous to Italy, right? How did they get there? They got there because of the Moors were heavily traded, involved in these areas, right? So they ruled Spain for about 800 years. And during the fall of that, what we would now have known as the Spaniards and the, the Portuguese, They kicked these Moors out back into Africa. And since the Moors have set up these travels, these these routes and these these trade routes to that area and introduced it to that area, it helped jumpstart European colonization, right? In a sense of giving them the means to get to these different places in the world that they couldn't get to before, whether it was through the use of maps, whether it was the use of astrology and things that nature, star navigation, things that nature, right? So they have this roadmap put in place. uh, But to really really set things in motion, they adopt this idea. Uh, They get heavily involved in the the slave trade, right? Which a lot of people also don't understand that slavery isn't just uh, synonymous with Black folks or African folks, right? The first slaves were what we would call Slavic people, which were created during that feudalism time of Northern Europe, where you have these dramatic tribes... Uh, essentially uh, predating the Slavic people, right, East European people, as lower than human beings, right? So the root word of Slavic is Slav, which is also the root word of slave. So that's how we get that whole, uh, that's how you get slavery synonymous with the Slavic people. So like those are kind of like the first slaves in terms of recorded world history. And to get that, you have to read uh, slavery in the Barber States. But um, So they get involved in that, but then they notice that Uh, Because of some of the cultural patterns and traditions (laughs) in African nations, it's much easier to enslave African people than it is other people. Because there's a certain, in terms of survival in that system, there's a certain, uh, you know, you, you have to be barbaric in a way, right? You have to be more barbaric than the people who are trying to enslave you to ensure your own survival in that type of system. And a lot of African cultures weren't that type of way. We were a culture where we had, uh, you know, (laughs) openness in terms of opening in your doors to your neighbors, right? Very similar to the Native people, right? When you look at uh, when white supremacy entered America, you have, uh, what we would call the Thanksgiving feast, right? But to have a feast, you have to have plenty of dinner in the first place, but then you also have to have a culture and place where you're friendly to strangers, right? Which is not common in more nor- Northern traditions, Northern cultures, things of that nature. So the Portuguese and the Spanish found out it's very easy, it's easier, I should say, to enslave African peoples than it is the Slavic peoples. Not to say it was easy from the jump because we always resisted, but that was a conscious decision that they made, right? And to build upon that, of course, you have to have a campaign of dehumanization, right? And that's where I believe, in terms of why white supremacy is put in place, this idea that the white race is a superior race, is to uh, support what they did in terms of European colonization, in terms of slavery, in terms of chattel slavery, in terms of capitalism, all these things have ties to this idea of white supremacy in terms of white people are super, superior, therefore, all these other groups in their hierarchy, especially the lowest group, which are the black people, aren't even human, in a sense, right? So couple that uh, thinking with a lot of the pseudosciences that went into backing up this idea of white supremacy, because at first it was more so you would lean on theology. And I hate to do this, but it's, it's in the Bible, okay? I did. If you don't like it, just read Genesis and then you'll kind of understand what I'm talking about. So at first it was, we, they would use theology to, to kind of um, stamp this idea of white supremacy, right? You have the story of Ham and you have Ham being one of the sons of Noah. And after the great flood, Noah's in his tent, drunk, naked, you know, praising God. That's in the Bible. Ham sees him, laughs, and God decides to punish not Ham, but the seed of Ham which is Canaan, right? So in the Bible, you have the land or the supposed lands that Ham and Canaan, his his bloodline, uh, populate, which is the African continent, right? Then you have, uh, but but I'm saying that to say that there was a belief that God had cursed Ham because he he had disproved his father's behavior in praising God, right? And he did so by cursing his son to be, servants of his other brothers, right? If you read older versions of the Bible, they even talk about, you know, their hair would, would grow kinky, uh, their male member parts would be elongated, uh, their skin will go black, they will go naked because you, uh, you know, close your eyes to my nakedness, things of that nature, right? So they would use that at first, but then when people started poking holes through theology, they turned to a pseudoscience, right? And that I'm pseudoscience is right. race.
0: And and I just want to put pause because I just want people who are listening to know that those like because you, you know, you those holes that you said have uh people have done work, some thoughtful work to like disprove oh. the whole thing about black people being cursed. So I just want to make that yes. really, really clear, right? Yes, <laughs>
1: yes.
0: That yes. there is um so much work that's been done to disprove that whole conceptualization. So I just wanted to right. that. so thank you for. Right. So- so
1: for naming those holes I'm, I'm glad you i'm glad you did that but you yeah, know black before people be,
0: are not cursed.
1: <laughs> we're not cursed but but before then you know the, you would have these terms like hamites
0: right exactly. things
1: of that nature right um which were terms used to describe black folks uh, but when po- when folks start poking holes in that theory they then turn to a pseudoscience of race which is race science right which is where we still kind of are now in the belief that there are different races among the earth, right? Because uh, a lot of us get ethnicity and race mixed in together as two separate things, right? But we have and this that belief we- that there are separate races on the planet when that's not the case.
0: Yeah, and maybe we can sit here because I I, I don't like I in my mind whenever I record I think about the listener like the future listener, and I would yeah. hate for someone to be listening to be like, oh my gosh, so like, what are you saying? Race and ethnicity is right. Because right. as to your point, like race is a social construct, it doesn't exist. Yeah, right? like it doesn't reality. exist. Um, and science has actually proven this, right? So this is what's interesting about yes. that, is that the pseudoscientists try to use fake ass science
1: right? race,
0: you know, that superiority when humans are like ninety-nine point ninety-eight percent the same, right? Like genetically. Oh. You
1: know, oh. the, the, I mean, there, there's and I hate to say it because it's very cliche, but it's true. There's only one race, and that's the human race. Right. Race <laughs> In terms of what we believe, that's real shit, though. No, <laughs> if, it if, if, it, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, you know, you could take we could look at nature. Right. And nature's our best teacher. Right. When you take mm-hmm. uh, a, a horse and a donkey, you know, they look the same. But technically speaking, you could say they're different races right Mm -hmm. they can produce an offspring but that offspring is sterile right if a black person sleeps with a white person or vice versa and they have offspring that offspring is not sterile yeah you know so that just proves just in terms of biologically speaking we're in the same species right um
0: shout out to nature nature. we're like what 33 percent the same genetic materials daffodils 13 percent the same genetic material yes yes
1: yes (laughs) yeah and then, and then you have the, the study of uh, MRA, mitochondrial DNA, um, which, you know, I'm not a scientist myself, but I've read the studies, and through that and through that study, we can point to us all having a common ancestor which they call Mitochondrian Eve or African Eve, you know, a woman that lived 200,000 years ago.
0: We're not about to do that right now because I don't need one of my, you know, white listeners to walk away from this conversation saying they're African. We're not ready. For <laughs> we're
1: not,
0: I'll bring you back <sighs> for season to when we're ready for that conversation.
1: No, but not. But that's the difference between ethnicity and race, though. You understand yeah. what I'm saying in terms yeah. of one being culturally based, you know, in the sets of traditions, uh, different. And that can also uh, have an effect on, you know, where you have migrated to in terms of climate change and how your ancestors adapted to that climate, right? That also speaks to ethnicity versus race, which is a pseudoscience, which is a, a social construct, right? We put the value into race that it has, very similar to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the dollar, right? The dollar is just a piece of paper, but we give it its value because we put value into it, right? Same thing with race. Race is a pseudoscience. It's been disproven throughout history since, I ain't going to say since its existence. Um, and a lot of scholars like Martin Martin Bernal and his work Black Athena have tried to pinpoint it to, uh, you know, um, universities in, in I want to say it's Germany, Gutenberg, Gutenberg University, I believe is where you say you kind of start seeing this uh, implementation of pseudoscience in the curriculum. <clears throat> I had to double check on that, but it's in his work, Martin Breval, Uh He wrote Black Athena. Um, definitely check that out. I want to say it's like chapter thirteen or something like that. Um, I'll make sure to put. notes. In- yeah, put put it in the notes, and I can send you a, a link to it as well. It's it's a fairly cheap. We probably get it for like twenty five bucks. But um, he talks about it in his works in terms of trying to pinpoint where this race science starts in terms of being implemented in a higher curriculum or higher learning curriculum things of that nature. But it, I, I said that to say that it's a, it's a social construct. It's a pseudoscience, right? But we put the value in it. into it.
0: Yeah, we put the value in it. And because we put the value in it, Tony, it also has real life consequence. So like, for example... Yes,
1: yes, yes.
0: We know that the two fairy you know what I'm saying doesn't exist. We know that Santa Claus doesn't exist, right? Not real at all. But that doesn't mean that kids still today and parents still today don't tell their kids you know don't put their kids put the money under the pillow you get what i'm saying yes
1: yes yes.
0: so even though these things are fictive at most the cultural significance is Mm. material consequence
1: the reality is very i'm glad that you said that because i I always try to make a note to circle back to that Because like you said, even though it is a pseudoscience, there's no such thing as a race. And we're all part of the human race. We can't ignore the realities that this pseudoscience has created, right? To to say, and and I need to make that very clear. Because yes, race is a pseudoscience. Race is a social construct. It only has value because we put value in it. But because value has been put in it, we cannot ignore the realities that it has created, right? So we can't ignore what's happened to so-called black people. We can't ignore what's happened to uh, indigenous people all throughout the world, African people all throughout the diaspora, right? Because of this ideology of race, right? So I'm glad you said that because that is a very important point, and I don't want that point to be lost uh, in this conversation as I continue to disprove race as an actual, you know, biological thing. Like it has no biological meaning is a social but construct
0: people needed to hear it people need to hear it they need to know the truth my brother they need to know
1: <laughs> i do appreciate you for that though because that like i said that is a very important point to keep in mind when we do talk about these things
0: so now people have left the continent that we see people having yes. conversations with this pseudo science in mind
1: yes. to um, to further justify the genocide that they're about to unleash on the world whether it be uh, in Australia, a lot of people think uh, the so-called Australian Ab- Aborigines are the indigenous folks of Australia. That is not true. Um, the the first people to actually migrate out of Africa and settle in what is now known as Australia or a group of people called the Tasmanians. Right. And to understand what happened, then, we have to understand uh, what's known as the Black War. Right. I'm just saying in terms of agreeing to what you're talking about, in terms of how. Uh, once people have left the continent and start introducing this concept this pseudoscience of suicide or race, they're doing it to justify uh, the genocide, right? The horrors of European colonization to indigenous peoples and African peoples throughout the diaspora. And then also on the continent itself, you know what I mean? So
0: so that gets us to the point that something I heard you say, which is white supremacy exists because black people do.
1: Well, but i'll I'll clean it up a bit because I, what I, what I what I normally say and what I always say is um we as a people, a lot of us get involved in this work, whether it's from the anti-racist standpoint, whether it's from a historical standpoint, whether it's from anti-blackness standpoint, all of us essentially have a goal of that being we need to dismantle white supremacy, right? And I've always said we can't dismantle an ideology that we still cling to. Right? And I said to say that blackness was created because whiteness was created, right? There was no such thing as blackness before this idea of white supremacy came into place. Now we've been able to flip it into, you know a whole new movement, a whole new idea uh, in terms of how we empower ourselves, right? Black is power, black is king, black is love, right? That's because we've been able to flip it and change its future if you will but the foundation of blackness in itself was created when whiteness was created, right? So very similar to the dollar itself, you know, we give the dollar the dollar its value, right? Because by itself, a dollar is just a piece of paper, right? And now we, the U.S. government can say it can back it up, but it can only back it up because the people in the United States, the people inside that global community, have value and have faith in that piece of paper, in that note, to have value, right? It's not backed by anything in terms of the natural world, natural world, right? It's not backed by gold. It's backed. It's literally backed by what we believe it to be work, right? Same thing goes with race, in my opinion, right? So us as African people throughout the diaspora, us as so-called Black people uh, throughout the world, if we're truly going to dismantle white supremacy, we need to take a look at this whole pseudoscience of race in itself, right? And I've always, and I said this a little bit earlier, like I look at white supremacy as a tree, right? And if white supremacy is a tree, race, Right, the ideology of race is is the roots. It's the it's the trunk. You know what I mean? Like it's it's literally the foundation that's holding up white supremacy. If you take away this ideology of race, like uh, Tommy said, if I take your race away, what are you? Right? And she was talking to essentially white people when she asked that question. But well, I like to ask everybody that question. I like to ask white people that question. I also like to ask black people that question because even though we've flipped. The meaning of what Blackness is, we can't get rid of its foundation. We can't get rid of its origin. You know what I mean? That's something that we can't do. And we have to come to the grips. We have to grip the reality that Blackness, even though we flipped it, has this dark past. And that past being it was created to justify whiteness, right? To justify the racial hierarchy that was put in place through European colonization, right? To justify European colonization, right? So, in that sense, (laughs) <laughs> I would say that because we we cling to this ideology that we've been proven is a, a, a pseudoscience, right? It has no actual value to us outside of the value that we put into it now because we flipped it. But once we, you know, eliminate that, we can really take a look at, okay, that's how you dismantle white supremacy by saying its main lifeline is a, is a myth from the get-go, right? You can't have whiteness being supreme if you say whiteness doesn't even exist, And to say whiteness doesn't exist, you have to admit that Blackness itself does not exist, right? If we're not Black, then what are we? And that's a question that I I like to pose to everybody.
0: That's a question that I've been thinking about and I struggle with because, well, that's a future podcast. I'm going to have you back on the (laughs) And I also want to really make something really clear uh, because I'm aware that especially in the United States in particular, a lot of times when we talk about issues of race or racism, um, there is a Black-white binary, right? So I want to make, oh. like, I try to be really clear because I think mm-hmm. all types of people, right, all people of the global majority um, have experienced violence by way of racism because oh, of the man. science of race. So I want to lift that up. The only reason yeah. why I, I really work hard for people to see that, that whiteness opposes Blackness is because I also, I don't think that people can, we can't get healed of something until we know, like you know. I don't. I don't want to be like cliche here or even triggering, but I'll just use like a cancer metaphor. Tony, you can't like when someone finds out they have cancer. Like one of the first things your medical provider is going to do is ask, like try to pinpoint where it's at. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So the only reason why I name that dichotomy right. Um, and I, I don't believe in dualism or false like binary thinking anyway, but in this case, I think it matters. And that's because we have to pinpoint, like, where did this this hierarchy and this supremacy get rooted in? Do you get what I'm saying? And then how was that justified to do the harms that happened globally to all types of brown and indigenous folks? You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that- The only reason why I try to name that is because it is about dissecting the root or the origin system of this hierarchy. Right. And how that has been used to go to various parts of the world and be violent towards all types of people. Right. Right have melanin you know yeah um, and then i also try to name and this is probably something that every episode of this season is gonna someone's gonna hear me say this is white supremacy as as harmful as it is to black folks and to brown folks it also harms white people right right That is that Speak a lot that. of people cannot process right yeah. it's a very anti-human system man right these are
1: facts these are facts uh,
0: and so now look look at me segueing. Look, I feel smart because <laughs> I feel smart. And so I was like, I need to be smart tonight because like, <laughs> I, I, Um, I wanted to read you a line from the Recharge Genocide document mm. that the Civil Rights Congress composed of so many amazing uh, Black thinkers and theorists and writers in 1951 brought to the United Nations and there's a line that I wanted to get your thoughts on. That's so powerful. And one of, the, and it says, um, "We believe that in issuing this document, this document is the We Charge Genocide document um, that was given to the United Nations. That we are discharging an historical responsibility to the American people, as well as rendering a service." of inestimable in estimated value to pro- to progressive mankind we speak of the american people because millions of white americans in the ranks of labor and the middle class and particularly those who live in the southern state and are often contemporously called poor white are themselves suffering To an ever greater degree from the consequences of the Jim Crow segregation policy of government Mm. in its relations with Negro citizens. We speak of Mm. progressive mankind because a policy of discrimination at home must inevitably create racist commodities for export abroad and so i wanted to sit with that for a second because one i think it connects to what we were just talking about about white supremacy hurting white people but two here's this charge that this document is making that the united states government you know this amazing foreign power Um, this world leader of democracy and diplomacy and progressiveness right Mm -hmm. Um, the document is accusing the United States of genocide of African and black folks you see what I'm saying and so that's right I mean I want to introduce that to the conversation like that's not something we I'm pretty sure you ain't read that in your history books that the United States was guilty of genocide did you
1: (laughs) I mean they probably did at least in the sense of I, I I take that back. They probably didn't, because when people talk about uh you know the pilgrims and manifest destiny and, and you know uh the, the way that Native American history is taught in America, they probably don't even see that as a genocide. So you're right. No,
0: yeah. I, get, I mean, and this is embarrassing because I feel like you, when you're a kid, you believe what adults tell you, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. when we think about the origin story of the United States, and depending on how you like. Who's telling a story? Because we get it by the way of Jamestown, Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the natives, the first people who are disregarded in that story because they make up this whole thing about Pocahontas. Or we mm. get it by the way of, you know, Massachusetts and the Puritans and the Pilgrims. Mm. It's still you know, a very, like, Disney version of what it is.
1: wholesome. Them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? It's the Thanksgiving.
0: Fact. It's the pumpkin pie. It's the extreme corn. Right. And so... Right.
1: When in reality, you know, one side definitely was exchanging foods, uh, techniques that other people needed to learn to live on this land while the other people was giving them blankets with smallpox. You know what I mean? So, I definitely so, feel you on that. Sense.
0: So, what do we do with that? Like, how? What? What do we do if we name the United States as a genocidal agent?
1: Uh, well, for one, I, I would definitely want to say, um, I don't, I don't. Unfortunately, I would have to be a student of history and and and, and succumb to. What has happened in the past to say that, you know, we've been done that. Like you'd read that letter that was sent to the UN uh, back in the 50s. Uh, you know, you look back during uh, Malcolm's time in the early 60s. He was also talking about going back to the UN and charging uh, America with genocidal charges as well. So this is a conversation that's been happening uh, for centuries uh, now. And what would have changed? And to be honest, I could think back. I want to say it was in the early, in the late two thousands, in terms of like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when the UN said that uh, America was guilty in old uh, African Americans reparations, and nothing came of that. Um, you know, it's. I, I will say one: it's important in terms of history and in teaching the the in teaching the true history of this nation. That we, that we label things and we use the correct language because language matters, right? So I definitely think it's important in that standpoint. Uh, and maybe through that, you know, we can shift the consciousness of future generations to where something will be done for the genocidal acts that's happened in the foundation of this country and the genocidal acts that this country continues to take out and, and do, whether it be uh, in Central America, whether it be in the so-called Middle East, things of that nature in terms of where we have all these military campaigns and coups and and disrupting actual democratic pra- uh, practices because we have capitalistic things that we want to keep in place. Um, you know. So I definitely think it's important in, in terms of a language standpoint. Uh, but for, for, for me and my reality, um, it's a change that I'm not, I don't, and I hate to say a change that I'm not going to see in my lifetime because I don't want to put that type of energy in the universe. Uh, but again, in terms of me being a student of history, I have to, I have to come to grips with what's happened in the past. And like I said, this is a conversation that's been happening.
0: Look, that's the first thing you said on this call that I disagree with. In a sense, okay, I have that, like you know, that that posture of demand and Mm. the spirit of urgency. Why not in my lifetime? Oh,
1: right. Oh, let me let me clear it up because I don't. And like I said, I hate to say it like that because I don't want to put that in the universe. You know what I mean? Because it, it damn sure could happen in my lifetime in terms of America coming to grips with what is happening and starting to, uh, you know, acknowledge and atone what it's done in terms of its genocidal acts, whether it be here on this continent or here throughout the world, uh, throughout the Western world, so-called Western world. But like I said, and I, and I, and I really, I, I hate to be a pessimist, if you will, but, you know, Kwame would tell me we have to look at the track record of this country and, and and what has happened. There's been so many outspoken people in our community, people like Kwame Ture, people like Martin, people like Malcolm, people like Garvey. You know what I mean? That was one of Garvey's main stepping points is that, uh, you know, one, we need to look for self uh, in terms of this race idea to put race first. But to look out for our people first and then demand the what is oh. Right. So, and, you know, he's kind of the, the, the leader of pan-African thought, if you will. But like I said, in terms of me being a student of history uh, and, 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 and knowing the cycles that um, I don't want to say civilizations, but knowing the cycles that eras had in America's past, whether it be the Garvey era, whether it be the civil rights era, whether it be the Black, Black Power, the Black Panther era, whether it be now, what people would consider it to be the Black Lives Matter movement era. Right. These cycles have common things and those common things seem to be ignored or, you know, to the point to where it's tough for me to be like, OK, I can definitely see America taking a mass change in how it teaches its history and acknowledging that it's a genocider. Uh, you know, that's something that I just I just I have a really hard time of being like I want it to happen in my lifetime. But realistically speaking, being a student of history, it's tough for me to be like I'll put I'll put money that it does happen in my lifetime. That's just me speaking. It's a fair
0: point, and so now I'm about to say something that I hope those that have you internally cussing and being like, you know what, I, I'm <laughs> never gonna collaborate with Kina's black ass again. Uh, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it because it's my podcast.
1: Please, uh, yeah, please.
0: And then you can also like disagree or call me in.
1: Oh man, look, I, I, <laughs> I. I, I, I... Okay, one
0: of the, the one of the things that gets me excited right and you know I feel like I've said this on my platform in some way before, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, so I've had a lot of people in a lot of different ways say things to me in a similar vein of like, how are you going to end racism? Or what are you going to do to end yeah. racism? What, Like something similar yeah. to that. And in the mm-hmm. last couple of years, my response to that has changed. So like 10 years ago, if someone had said, what are you going to do to end racism? I would have been like, oh, we'll do this. And I'm going to do this and do this, whatever. And if somebody asked me that now, I'm going to be like, first of all not my job mm. i ain't create the shit mm. and i am not profiting from the larger machine that does it, right mm. and so mm-hmm. part of why this platform exists and it ain't for everybody it ain't even for every type of white person so i always i'm so aware of that is feeling like the onus of that has to be turned around and so to your point you name these amazing profits in our community malcolm garvey all these amazing people and i think one of the things that i want to try to articulate is the knowledge is with our ancestors the knowledge is with Mm. us right so we're giving Mm. the data we're giving the quantitative or the qualitative report right and Mm. now what needs to happen is hey white people who are at this white hierarchy hey white people who are the larger maintainers of these larger systems, you're going to have to take ownership of mm. fixing the situation. Mm. And so an ownership doesn't look like Robin DiFangelo writing another book on- <laughs> Right. All right. That's not what I mean by ownership. Ownership doesn't look like uh so you think you can dance. Shout out to Sonia mm. who that nickname for just as racist ass. Creating a a platform, you know, dealing with race, but right. you're white progressive. That's not what I mean mm. by ownership. Ownership mm-hmm. means that as a white person who profits from all these violent systems, you have to take responsibility and say. Hey, this is my work. This mm-hmm. is my work to dissolve myself of whiteness. This is my work to find the places, the lane, the energy, um, the resources that I can make a mark different. That is not to say that my hope is on white people because don't get it twisted, right? <laughs> right? right. So I, I really want to kind of like name the edges there, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think history has provided us with a massive database of white people who've been like, you know what, we need to do better. We don't have the, mm. we don't have receipts on that. But mm. what do have is that you and I are having this conversation and white people are gonna hear some of this shit and hear words and phrases and terms that they've never been taught Mm -hmm. and some of them are going to listen to that and dig deeper and understand that this is not a profitable system for anyone but i have profited i have to fix this shit so that is part of what i think makes this moment in time interesting right is the old gonna shift it's not my responsibility to do this i didn't create this system oh okay so like
1: i'm sorry i gotta ask what what part of That did you think I wasn't gonna agree with you all?
0: I don't know because I felt like that was like when I say that, I've said that to other black folks, and they've been like, ooh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) but but your girl i'm saying like for so long especially if we're talking about like the modern civil rights movement it was that Mm. we should overcome someday you know feeling like okay we gotta in fact i wrote this shit down tony i literally heard this on the news today it's a black woman shout out to Dottie hamilton she says i don't intend to spend all my life proving to white people i'm okay and yeah, i wrote I. down but i think for so long we felt that that oldness was on us as black folks
1: to mm-hmm. help white
0: people be like hey we're okay right like look right we can we can straighten our hair we're okay right Look, That's a simulation I, I can talk like you we're okay right look i can move in your neighborhoods and drive cars you drive we're okay right so that's what I'm saying. Like, rather we've said that shit out loud or not, we have internalized that it is our responsibility as black and brown To make
1: the white to- man comfortable.
0: Yes. it's end racism. That's not my job.
1: Right. Right. It's not, though. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and, and I, I've battled with this myself because I, I had a piece very early on in terms of what a real white savior is. Because we have this idea of what a white savior is, a white person that goes into Marginalized community and, like, you know, introduces them to different aspects of revenues that they didn't have access to. And now she's, you know, essentially saved the community, or he's essentially saved the community, Uh, or this belief that white people need to save us from a hellhole, right? When in reality, a white savior is a white person who saves themselves from this illness, this this that this part. myth of whiteness in, in itself, right? A, a white savior is a white person that goes into their own community, right? Goes into their own community and, 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 and helps their community devolve and dissolve from whiteness themselves, right? That's what a real white savior is to me, in my opinion, because... Uh, like you said i didn't create racism in fact <laughs> it's crazy that white folks want to take credit for everything except for the invention of racism
0: that part. and that's probably
1: the only thing that they really invented to be 1000 you know what i mean so <laughs> uh, I, i'm gonna, right there with you
0: i'm gonna have to take this good old word and you might have to stop <laughs> the podcast, you know for my people talent. you might need to like maybe at the top of this episode i'm gonna say hey if you're a drink you know, you might have to pour a drink <laughs> while you listen to this. It's
1: going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> no, real shit, though. Real shit, though. Real shit, though. And for us, you know, in terms of if, if someone would ask me that same question, how am I going to end racism? I would say, first off, you asked me the wrong question. You should be asking me, how am I going in to end racism? Because as you said throughout this conversation, we've internalized racism to the points where it affects how we see ourselves, how we interact with ourselves, how we interact with people inside our community and how we interact with people outside our community, right? That's one of the psychological chains of slavery that's still left over to us today, right? In the sense that in the sense that, I don't have to deal with the wrath and the horrors of slavery if I'm a good slave, if I pick cotton to this amount, if I please master, right? That's now, been passed down through generational trauma to where okay maybe I'm not gonna lose my life if I keep my pants up right maybe if I listen to everything the police says I won't lose my life to to this police state right maybe if I'm punctuate maybe if I get all the degrees right America won't see me as a black man but will see me as an American in this in this class system right we try and cling to classism if you will to this racism, but we can't ignore the fact that this is a racialistic society. Right? So the best thing that I can do is free my mind and then free the minds of all my other brothers and sisters who are underneath this whole uh, you know, the, the, the enslavement of internalized racism and the real people who need to dismantle racism, who need to end racism are the people who perpetuate the system of oppression still to this day. Because as you said, racism uh, inhibits white people, so-called white people in ways that we can't even really imagine, because for us, we we understand, we know the realities, we've seen the realities. But for uh, you know a white person who is not uh, economically uh, privileged in a way, right? I hate to say uh, white trash because it gives the idea that white is pure, and you got to add trash to it if you will. But you know what I'm saying when I talk about white trash, you know, if I will. Yep,
0: I, I know, I can fo- I'm following. It's it's,
1: it's it's right, right. Those people are being deprived and exploited from this capitalistic system, just like a lot of us are, but because they believe that at least they're white, right, and they have this badge, they have this title, they have this airness to them, and I say air in the terms of bougieness to them, because they are white, at least that they're not black, right? And, and it's and it's fogging the their actual reality to see that we all have a common oppressor in this capitalistic system that is exploiting both of us but because you believe that you're separate from me, you know, you're, you're, you're punching yourself in the face because like, I mean, we're not going to get under the thumb of this unless we unite.
0: And look, and history shows us that all the time, the mm. way that white people choose whiteness and they bet on whiteness when they don't have anything else. And I don't want to get into right. a political conversation, but that was what was so powerful about the Trump presidency. That was mm. white people mm. betting on whiteness with the evidence that the major actor was not in support of them, right? Right, right. But also it's the trifecta that I call white nationalism, you know, white supremacy, the patriarchy, and mm. capital. It's the trifecta. Those three mm. things are so strongly ingrained in all of the violence that people experience across the globe. Um and it's hard sometimes to untie the knot, you know?
1: Very true. And, and as a historian, I have to get this one historical reference. Uh, which really, I think, speaks to, first off, it speaks to the actual creation of whiteness in terms of U.S. law, when you start seeing it in-U.S. law. But in terms of us understanding our history, right, to uh, dismantle this idea of whiteness, uh, my reference is, people, if you don't know who Nathaniel Bacon is, please research who Nathaniel Bacon is, research his rebellion that he led, right, in 17th century America, right, when he took over Jamestown, destroyed Jamestown, Building a coalition of uh, enslaved Africans, indentured servants, right? White people, right? First off, he did that to attack the natives, which is very fucked up, and I can't just gloss over that. But he also did it to attack the power structure in terms of the elites in Jamestown, right? And when he did that and he took over Jamestown and burnt that shit to the ground, the aristocrats, the, the wealthy elites said, we cannot have this. We can't, we can't have these people teaming up because they outnumber us. So we have to create ways to let people into the group to divide and conquer, right? So that's my historical reference. If people, if you don't know who Nathaniel Bacon is, research who he is, research his rebellion, and then research the laws that started coming in place after the rebellion, right? You start to see, you start to see a, a turn away from indentured servitude and a more increased focus on chattel slavery, right? Why is that? Why do they make indentured servitude? illegal right people think it was illegal with the 13th amendment but it was it, it stopped being a predominant practice centuries before the 13th amendment was introduced to the constitution right so for people who need a historical reference in terms of um, first off to understand where race law became Implemented in America, and to also understand how we can build coalitions to rival what Nathaniel did to take on the elites. Study Nathaniel Bacon and his rebellion.
0: That was so important. Okay, I have one more question.
1: Yeah, um, sure. I know we've been talking for a while. I haven't even looked at the clock because I just want to keep it going.
0: And you were like, but I mean, that's what I—I just—I had made space in my life that I knew you were gonna like get into it. You know? Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So here's the thing. You, you gave a lot of stats about the Moors and Spain and the trade routes. Yeah. A lot of stuff that I know is new information for so many folks. Yeah, so yeah. again, for the person who might be listening to this, who is white, who's like, what's that got to do with me? <laughs> Why do uh, I need to know these inf- this information? I would right, love for right. you to answer that question. That might be rolling in their uh, rolling
1: around in their heads. Well, I, and and I bring it back to what I said in the introduction. In terms of we can't know where we're going if we don't know where we've been, right? You can't. Uh, you know, you brought up a, a very great point in terms of curing cancer right to cure cancer first off you need to have a diagnosis you need to figure out exactly what's going on and then when you figure out what's going on you to figure that out you got to pinpoint the area that's where you know you're seeing the abnormals happening right you have to study the body right and i say that to say that for us we understand that we have this sickness with us today which is white supremacy but we have to study history the history of body right to understand where it came from, how it came to be, right? And people have this idea that, you know, because it happened centuries ago, it's so far removed from us when that's not the truth, right? History is not a linear thing, right? It's not, you know, this happens in a chronological order. You know, that's the that's the easy way to break down history. But the best way to actually understand how these things apply to you, you need to understand that history is continuous. Yesterday is history. Right. Two days ago is history. What I just said is history. You know what I'm saying? So once you have that understanding, you can then start to see, uh, you know, that Just because something happened centuries ago, it still has implementation, it still has effect to this day, right? So when I talk about the Moors and the fall of the Moors, that's important because it's because of the fall of the Moors, it's because of those trade routes that the Moors introduced to what would become European nations that they're able to jumpstart and fast track European colonization, right? It's because of the fall of the Moors that... Um, you have, and and I should also note that the Moors were also the Moors were involved in uh, slave trades prior to the transatlantic. Right, it was when the when the, when the Spaniards and the Portuguese flipped on the African wars themselves, and a lot of African nations outside of where those Moors uh, empires have been set up in North in Northeast and West Africa. Right, you have the enslavement of a lot of sub-Saharan Africans, a lot of West and South southwest africans right it's because of those relationships so if you don't understand that history one you don't understand why we have terms like negro right negro is a spanish word how did the spanish word get used to label african people right okay you have to understand that history right so that's why i try and i try and bring all this history to the forefront so people can understand where we've been to be like, okay, uh, we understand how how that happened. Let's let's do this, right? And then also we have to understand what we've done because if we don't understand that, then we're going to just keep repeating ourselves and, and end up in this loop, right? That I find ourselves stuck in because we don't understand what we've already done, right? What we've already tried, right? So that's that's why I, I, I always talk about history. That's why I think history is Uh, a a fundamental piece in anybody's anti-racism platform, right? If you don't have history involved in it, then you're going to be supporting white supremacy in one way or another, right? If you're not talking about ancient history, you only talk about history from 1619, you're enforcing or indirectly enforcing this idea that Black folks, African folks have not contributed anything prior to civilization before slavery, right? And essentially you're indirectly uh, Supporting the idea that Black people's history begins in slavery, right? That's not the case. So uh, I, those, those, that's that's kind of how I would answer that question. I know it's kind of long winded.
0: You broke it down, 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 and all the ways right. That you right broken down. So the last right. thing I usually do is a ask you to tell people how to follow you, support you, um, really get connected to your engagement, and then I usually. Yes second question for myself so let's go ahead tell cool. people where they can find out more about your work um how they support your work all that stuff share that with yes
1: them. yes heard. yes yes so uh main platform uh, as i kind of mentioned uh before uh is on instagram uh you can find me at the ghetto activist uh all one word um but that's on instagram there i have a lot of content i'll post out content weekly it's all authentic content i should say as well uh, I appreciate people who do repost my work. Uh, but the work that you see on my page, I think I got like 706 posts. 99% of those posts were created by myself. Um, so you can find me there. I also have the blog, which, like I said, if you just go to Google and type in the ghetto activist, You'll probably be fed my Instagram and then my blog right underneath where you'll see a lot of actual like pieces, blog pieces. Like I said, these aren't, you know, 10 slide pieces of information that you can consume in 10 10 minutes or so. I have pieces that have like 2,500 words to them. You know what I mean? Like these are huge documents that have a lot of resources uh, from a historical standpoint. I talked about Nathaniel Bacon for a little minute. Uh, One of my first pieces on the actual blog itself. Uh, It's a piece that really focuses on that history and breaks down all the stuff you need to know in terms of the laws that were put in place after the rebellion. Uh, So definitely check out the blog as well. Um, And people who want to support me, I have a Patreon. Uh, I have three tiers available right now. I have the Solidarity tier, which is at $5. Then I have my Inner Circle tier, which is at $10, which you'll get access to my close friends list on Instagram, where I share a lot of upcoming content. Uh, You also get access to some uh, of my live streams that I've recorded and saved just for the Patreon family. Uh, That's at $10. And then I got the moving on up tier, which is at uh, the third tier, which is at $20, where you'll have access to all of that. Plus uh, some seminars that I've done, workshops that I've done in a professional field. So I have two on there. One on there is um, titled um, Creating Safe Spaces in Predominantly White um, Institutions. Uh, Another one is... Uh, migrating, navigating through racial, uh, racial, uh, navigating through microaggressions in the workplace. Uh, so you'll have access to that as well. Plus, all the lives that I post and all that good stuff. So definitely check me out on Patreon. On Patreon, I'm just the ghetto activist. Um, that's pretty much the easiest way you can find me. I'm also on Twitter, kind of active there. You can just find me at ghetto activist um, on Twitter, but primarily uh, it's the Instagram account. The blog and then of course Patreon. I'm also on fan base too. Uh for those folks who are looking for a black alternative to Instagram. If Instagram keep playing with me, I'm going straight to fan base. Uh so on fan base, I'm the ghetto activist as well. Uh it's a trademark name. So that's pretty much the best way to find me is just type in the ghetto activist and search engine, and then you'll find most of my channel.
0: So much, Tony, for being with us today. Um of course. I- i know that the listeners are going to learn so much. um and to quickly wrap us up what's shaping my life today is so today is the day that i launched the divesting from whiteness podcast so, <laughs> so uh i'm just excited that something that i never thought i would do now existed exist out there and it's manifested and we're just going to see what happens from there. So thank you for being a part of this latest um, iteration of my voice. I'm very yes. grateful.
1: I, I, I always try to end off by saying thank you so much for opening up your platform. Uh, like I said, I'm always shocked when people bring me on. Because uh, <laughs> you can tell from my conversation, it's, it's straight. You know, we don't chase nothing. Yeah. Uh, right. So we I, were I just appreciate just you taking that
0: we were just Yeah. Just oh, yeah. It.
1: that's right that's right that's right (laughs) so i appreciate you for opening up your platform to me uh i hope people did learn something and i hope i'm back uh there's so much more that i would love to you know touch base it's a great conversation
0: look there's a there's a there's a page in my notebook that has your name on it
1: (laughs) oh perfect Perfect, perfect. So we could we could write down some <laughs> write down future ideas because I, I definitely yes. want to be a reoccurring guest. Uh, yes. As long as the creator allows me, I hate to bring it back to that dark stuff, but you know <laughs> that's the reality. But thank you so much.
0: How, how the old folks used to say, uh, "The uh, river, don't, God willing, and the and the river don't rise." Like, In the that's
1: <laughs> yes, right. The river don't rise. The,
0: the creek don't rise. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, the creek don't. Run. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. All yeah. right. Yes. Yes.
0: I'll, see I'll see you later.
1: Yes, say thank you so much. And have a great day.